Hello everyone, welcome back to episode 39 of the S3 podcast. Today we will be covering Caroline Luard, the sealed chart murder. Before I get right into it, I just want to say that I now have, I am now on Twitter, so if you would like to go and give me a follow, at S3S3 Productions on Twitter to get updates on future episodes. Also, follow us on Instagram at S3Podcast underscore. And also follow me on there as well if you would like to. The same username as on Twitter. So that you get updates and notified of further upcoming episodes. But without further ado, let's get right into it. On the afternoon of August 24th, 1908, Caroline Mary Luard and her husband, 70-year-old Charles, decided to go for a leisurely stroll with their dog, Sergeant in the couple's home village of Isham. Caroline was expecting the company of her friend Miss Mary Stewart later that afternoon at around 4 pm, so a mile from home, she parted with her husband and made her return through the woodland. Charles had his own errand to attend to. The couple were due to be taking a holiday in the coming days and Charles wished to play some golf whilst away. So he headed to the Garden Street Golf Club to collect his clubs. When Charles arrived back home at around 4.25pm, he was surprised to see Mary Stewart but no sign of his wife. Mary informed Charles that Caroline had yet to arrive for their planned tea, but just assumed she had been held up somewhere. Charles had his reservations on the idea as he knew Caroline had set off home around two hours earlier, but the pair sat and waited for another five minutes as they enjoyed a cup of English tea. At this point, Charles suggested that they had that they head out to meet her or rescue her from a nearby chatterbox neighbour, who they had now presumed had held up Caroline's return. The pair walked through Frank Field Park together for around 20 minutes, at which point Mary Stewart informed Charles she needed to be home by 6pm, as she herself had guessed due. Mary told Charles to let Caroline know she would visit the next day, and the two parted company. Half an hour later, at around 5.30pm, two gardeners heard cries of help coming from a nearby summer house, known as La Casa, in Stillchart, the neighbouring village of Isham. At this point, Charles Lord appeared from the woodland. James Wickham and Walter Holling The two gardeners couldn't make sense of what he was saying through his anguish. 
but he guided them to the veranda of the summer house. Here they soon saw what was causing Charles such distress. It was the dead body of his wife, Caroline Luard. Caroline had been killed as the result of two shots to the head from a three twenty revolver. Both shots were from close range, the first coming from behind her right ear before the killer made certain with a second shot through the left cheek. Closer examination showed Caroline Lord had first been struck with a heavy blow, hard enough to cause her nausea and make her vomit before, uh, before her execution. Caroline's killer had also removed her silk gloves and stolen three rings from her fingers. A ripped pocket also suggested money had been taken from it. Bloodhounds at the scene tracked the attacker's escape through the woodland down to the main road before losing the scent. Pawn shops were visited in the hope of tracing the stolen rings, but they were never found. <coughs> Excuse me. The, inve- the investigation found several witnesses who claimed they thought they heard gunshots coming from the direction of the summer house at around 3.15pm. Another witness claimed to have seen a suspicious looking man coming from out of the woodland as he drove by the area that same afternoon. No motive could be found as to why Caroline Lerard would be targeted by all accounts. She was well liked and respected amongst the community and had nothing in the way of rivals and was revered for her charity work with the poor. Robbery gone wrong seemed the most likely motive, but police weren't convinced. They believed the killer must have known the victim to know she was wearing rings under her gloves. The lack of police progress in finding Caroline Lua's killer soon meant the local gossips began letting their own theories known throughout the village. It wasn't long before Charles Lord came under the gaze of suspicion from the rest of the community, many deciding he should be hanged, drawn and quartered on the slimmest of evidence. So... Everyone is assuming that because obviously he's 70 years old, right, they're, ca- they're now casting aspersions amongst themselves, thinking that, right, he must have done it. And, you know, they create, it create, creates this hysteria. And it makes it a lot harder for the police to do their job, in my opinion. Rumours spread that Charles Lord, a retired Major General, had used his wealth and his personal relationship with the Chief Investigator, Henry Ward, to cover up his heinous act. Although it was certainly true he was friends with Ward and had money, there was little in the way of actual evidence he influenced the investigation. And that's the thing. And I'm just going to 
pose this question. Why would a 70-year-old man use his wealth to you know to distract the police chief from doing his job or to distract him from being a being a you know assailant the motive according to the wagging tongues was that of infidelity the only problem was that even the gossip among us couldn't decide on which of the Loires was the adulterer. Some argued Charles bumped off his wife so that he could run away with his lover. Others told, told tales of Charles finding out Caroline was the one having an affair and took his revenge in the worst possible way. No evidence was provided to substantiate either claim. In fact, no lover of any kind would ever come forward or even a name suggested after the murder of Caroline Lord. Friends and members of the household staff also reported no ill will between the couple, critics stating they were happy. Were the gossips correct and the person or persons involved in an illicit affair were just never identified? Or was this just more malicious bustlinging from those with little better to do? Although rumours of illicit affairs seemed merely the work of local gossip, it wasn't the only reason the finger was pointed at Charles Lord. Another seed of doubt cast against Charles Lord stemmed from the weapon used in the murder of his wife. He was the owner of three guns, but when asked... Charles claimed he couldn't remember what he had done with the ammunition for them. This certainly seemed like a strange answer, but with that said, none of the guns owned by Charles were a three twenty revolver, like the one used to murder Caroline Ward. His guns were all of a smaller calibre, and expert advice determined none could have been the murder weapon. A stranger piece of evidence against Charles was the ripped pocket from Caroline's dress. A maid discovered it in the Loire's home while sorting out a tangled bed sheet. On the sheet had been used to transport the body of Caroline Lord back to her home at Isham. No, it seems more likely the police just didn't see the ripped pocket was still on Caroline's person. The witch hunt against Charles Lord continued relentlessly and even took a more sinister turn. Charles started to receive letters from an anonymous author making threats against his own life. The threats against him led Charles to believe he could no longer remain in the area and he began looking for applicants to take over the lease of the home and began the process of auctioning off the house's contents. It seemed to matter little that Charles seemingly had a cast-iron alibi for the time the gunshots were heard coming from the La Casa summer house where Caroline Lerard was murdered. Throughout the period of time he separated from his wife during their walk on the fateful afternoon of her death. Numerous witnesses noted seeing him 
several members of the Garden Street Golf Club confirmed he had visited to collect his clubs that same afternoon. A labourer also reported seeing Charles near the golf club on two separate occasions. Finally, the local vicar, Rev Cotton, was driving in the opposite direction at around 4pm when he saw Charles Lord with his golf clubs heading in the direction of his home. The good Samaritan pulled up and offered to give Charles a lift home, to which he gladly accepted. If the gunshots heard by witnesses at 3.15pm were indeed the ones me, responsible for the murder of Caroline Lord, then Charles Lord could not have been the person who pulled the trigger. Following a second inquest into the death of his wife, Caroline Lourdes held on September 17th, Charles made his way to Barham Court. This was the home of Colonel Charles Edward Ward and the place Charles had been invited to stay after his recent onslaught of abuse. A friend of Charles Lourdes, the Colonel, was also the brother of Henry Ward, the chief investigator into the murder. Charles and Caroline Ward had two sons. Their youngest child, Eric, had sadly died five years prior from a fever while stationed in South Africa. He was just 25 years old. The couple's eldest son, after hearing of his mother's death, was due to arrive in Southampton from South Africa the day after the inquest. Also named Charles. The young man was expecting to meet his father, but instead was greeted by Colonel Charles Ward, who had yet more devastating news. Earlier that morning, his father Charles Ward had awoken early and eaten breakfast, as usual before returning to his room, to pen a series of letters. He then left the house before 9am and made his way to Teston Rail Station, Charles pinned a note to his coat, reading, Whoever finds me, take me to Colonel Ward, before throwing himself in front of the oncoming 909 to Tonbridge train. From the letters he had left behind, the reason for his decision was clear. His suicide wasn't a confession of any sort. It was due to the accusation made against him and the mental anguish of losing his wife, as evidenced in the following letter. I am sorry to have returned your kindness and hospitality and long friendship in his way, but I am satisfied it is best to join her in the second life at once, as I can be of no further use to anyone in the future in this world, of which I am tired and in which I don't wish to live any longer. I thought my strength was sufficient to bear up against the terrible imputations and terrible letters which I have received, since that awful crime was committed which robs me of all my happiness. And it is so lonely, and the goodness, kindness and sympathy of so many friends kept me going, but somehow, now the last day or two, something seems... To have snapped. The strength has left me, and I care for nothing except to join her again. So goodbye, dear friend, to both of us. The suicide of Charles Lord, however, garnered little remorse from his accusers. 
Instead, it merely led to more unsubstantiated rumours that he had killed himself as he was as he was about to be arrested for the murder of his wife. No evidence to back up such claims exist. Reports also materialised that Charles had left a suicide note saying he couldn't bear to see his son again, leading his accusers to assume this was because of his guilt. However, the official inquest into Charles Lewis' death denied any sort of letter mentioning his son existed. And was the fabrication of the press or another letter writer? On returning the verdict that Major General Charles Lewis had committed a suicide while temporarily insane, the coroner made perfectly clear his disdain for the letter writers who he believed had clearly helped drive a man to take his own life. Persons who have been prompted to write these letters have not been satisfied to let the general remain with his grief and sympathise with him in his great trouble. But they have added to the poignancy of his grief and sensitive and honourable man that he was. It made his life almost intolerable and without any doubt was a great factor in inducing him to rid himself of life and join his wife. Let us hope that the writers of these letters, if they have any conscience at all, will reflect and find that, at any rate, they must have contributed more or less to the doom to which the general sent himself. Let's hope that, although they treated him so badly in the last remaining days of his life, they will, at any rate, respect his memory now and utter no more of these libelous and baseless and unfounded insinuations. Circumstances have rendered it imperative that no reference should be made public to the malevolent gossip and hideous insinuations current in the district, since the murder evidently ill-natured people without thought of the agony and anguish. The general must have suffered through the murder of his wife sought to torture him, still further by accusing him of slaying the dead woman. The movements of the general after he had left Miss Lord were traced and disclosed at the inquest by independent witnesses and ought to have dissipated all suspicion that may have existed. Signed, the coroner. On the morning of September 19th, 1909, David Talbot Woodworth was about to be released from a four-month sentence at Maidstone Prison. He had been incarcerated for pointing a revolver at the labour master at Bromley Union Workhouse, instead of being released. However, Woodworth found himself charged with the murder of Caroline Nuard. Taken before the magistrates in Sevenoaks, it was claimed that Chief Constable Henry Ward had evidence pointing to Woodworth's guilt. A failure to reveal the evidence in question by Ward led to Woodworth being released without charge. It later transpired that that whatever evidence Ward had, if any, was wrong as Woodworth was in prison on the day Caroline Ward was killed. 
It has been suggested that blaming Woodruff was an attempt to frame a known criminal for the murder and finally lay the case to rest, whilst also clearing Charles Loire's name. No one else was ever charged in relation to the murder of Caroline Nuard. On August 10th, 1910, John Alexander Dickman became the last man to be hanged in a Newcastle prison in March of that year. Dickman supposedly murdered John and Nitwit during a Wings' robbery on the 1027 Newcastle to Alnmouth train journey. Despite question marks over the safety of the conviction, which involved the then Home Secretary Winston Churchill reviewing the case, Dickman was given the death sentence. It would be some time after his execution that John Alexander Dickman would find himself named as the possible killer of Caroline Nord. Dickman, who was also suspected to have killed Herman Coran in the town of Sunderland, was part of a fanciful tale that could almost have been torn from the pages of a murder mystery novel. Sir Sidney Orme Warren Hamilton, who had written a book titled The Trial of John Alexander Dickman in 1914, was the first to accuse Dickman. According to his version of events, John Dickman had placed an advert in the Times asking for financial help which Caroline Ward responded to, sending Dickman a cheque. The story goes on to say that once John Dickman received the cheque, he attempted to defraud Caroline Ward by altering the amount payable. On discovery of the fraud, Caroline took it, on, it upon herself, without her husband's knowledge, to arrange a meeting with Dickman to discuss the matter. It was during this alleged meeting that Dickman, fearing Caroline Nuard would take the matter further, killed her before that could happen. Despite little evidence to back up the theory, writer Clarence Henry Norman, better known as C.H. Norman, expanded on the theory. Norman had long held the belief that Dickman wasn't killer of John Nismith. John Nisbet, sorry. Writing several stories on the miscarriage of justice, he perceived to have taken place. In his opinion, John Alexander Dickman was set up. C.H. Norman therefore suggested that Dickman had indeed committed the murder of Caroline Nuard on that fateful summer day in 1908. However, a lack of hard proof meant that some of Major General Charles Nuard's friends including Sir Sidney Orme, Rowan Hamilton and Winston Churchill, took it upon themselves to avenge the Loards by securing John Alexander Dickman's fate, almost two years to the date letter. The murder of Caroline Loard remains unsolved, and it's, been, and it's remained unsolved for the last 106 years. So, again, I am stumped, to say the least, and I don't know what to think. Let me know what you think. But that will be it. Um, Sorry about the delay of this going out. Um, You know, 
I was a bit sidetracked, but I hope you enjoyed the rest. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Um, again, do follow me on Twitter at s three s three productions. Also, follow us on Instagram at s three podcast underscore. You can also find me on Instagram as well at s three s three productions as well. So yeah, do follow me on Twitter to for updates on upcoming episodes and more. And yeah, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, evening, wherever you are. Stay safe and thanks for joining.